Welcome to the Jason Tim Podcast. Thank you guys so much for taking time out of your Wednesday to come hang out with Tommy and I. And this is the last time we're going to call it the Jason Tim Podcast because, as I mentioned in the Friday show with Raj, I now that I have Tommy and Raj coming on as consistent guests, I would like to rebrand these as something that would cover both of us. And uh, uh, we're going to talk about here in just a second how we want some suggestions. Uh, Tommy, do you have any suggestions off the top of your head? I could only think of one. <laughs> oh God, here it's we kind go. of ridiculous. But my thought was gun to my head. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what the people think about that. But um, that, that was the only thing that popped in my head. At least there's kind of like a play on words. I say a lot of stupid things. Uh, you bringing me on this podcast is like kind of putting a gun to your own head because you don't know what I'm, I'm going to say. So we'll see. Maybe it has some legs. Well, so for all of you who are listening, and I'll tweet out something like this later, and, and Tommy can share it. If you guys can think of anything, uh, uh, I would like to to rebrand this specific podcast. Um, but I'm really excited to have Tommy on. I'm, I'm excited for this podcast because I think there are a couple of things that are really interesting that are going on around the league, and I think we're going to be able to bounce around to a bunch of teams as a result. Um, I wanted to start with this uh, this thing with the All-Star snubs because it kind of gets brought up every year. And uh, there's there's kind of like an overarching opinion that I have that I think explains how I feel about about all star snubs and a bunch of other topics around the NBA, which is basically just that, you know, everyone wants to uh, uh, pretend like they're slighted when there's a lot of really good basketball being played. And I think you have to remember that it's not we're not judging these types of decisions based on are you playing good basketball? We're judging these types of decisions based on are you one of the best players in this league? And so, for instance, it's something that always gets brought up in the MJ LeBron debate. It's this idea that, you know, and I used to feel this way when I was younger before I really thought it through all the way. This idea that like, oh, MJ didn't play very good competition or the players, you know, MJ didn't have to go against Steph and KD or, or all this kind of stuff. And what I, what I think is important to remember is, you know, MJ's job wasn't to be better than every player that would ever come in the future. It was his job to be the best player out of his peers, out of out of what basketball resembled in his era. Um, and as basketball progresses, I think there will always be better players around. And it's your job in order to be remembered to vault yourself over those players. You know, like that's the thing. Like LeBron is playing in, in an era where a lot of people are good at basketball. So he needs to separate himself. And the same thing goes with these all-stars. You know, you and I, before the show, we talked a little bit about DeMar DeRozan, but it, the same goes for, for a lot of these guys, you know, like uh, Devin Booker was complaining, like Colin Sexton was complaining. It's like, you guys are great. You're great players. Are you one of the top 24 players in the league? Are you one of the top 12 players in your conference is more accurate? Because if you're not, then you're not an all-star. Because the all-star is not, are you really good at basketball? The all-star is, are you one of the top 12 players in your conference? And if you're not, then you don't deserve to be an all-star. This isn't a participation uh, type of award. This is strictly a ranking. You have to make the top 12. And so I have a problem with, uh, you know, over-sympathizing for that type of thing because the, the extensive amount of talent in the league just means you have to be better. Uh, and so that, that's kind of where I land on it. What are your thoughts? I can understand why Devin Booker feels slighted for not making it in front of, like, Julius Randle, right? Because Devin Booker is by any measure a better player than Julius Randle. And I mean, that that's an entirely different conversation on conference, conference, lines, yeah. on conference mm-hmm. lines. And should we even have conferences, especially with as easy as travel is nowadays, all these teams have private planes. There's probably a better way to do it than strict conferences, especially when we're talking all-star teams. But 
I, I don't really see really any complaints for anybody besides maybe Devin Booker. I mean, we had Julius Randle make an all-star team. And look, I, I've been a Julius Randle fan. He's had a really up-and-down career, and I'm glad that he's figuring things out. I've always been a guy who really liked, who really liked his potential as a player. But Julius Randle isn't one of the 24 best players in the league. And when we look back 15 years from now, we're probably going to be like, whoa, Julius Randle made an all-star team? Like, he, he's, at, he's not, in my opinion, he's probably not going to matter in the history of basketball, right? So uh, the fact that people, some people feel snubbed like a DeRozan or a Booker, it just, it rings a little bit hollow to me when you're not, like, making this huge night-to-night impact on the league. Like, none of these guys who are complaining really have. Like, Colin Sexton, he's had a really nice year. He's improved a ton since he's come into the league. But, dude, you're not really impacting anything on a night-to-night basis, especially because Cleveland hasn't been good for like a month now. They were really good to start the year, and if they kept up their level of play, maybe it does make sense for Colin Sexton to make an all-star team. But he just hasn't been good enough lately to warrant any type of complaining about not making it. And the winning is the most important part, because, and that's what's kind of cool about this whole all-star snub you know, topic, is like, you know, like Christian Wood, for instance, t- tweeted out, you know, what do he say, something like casuals or something like that, talking about the people who voted f- for the all-star uh, selections and it's like Christian welcome to the modern NBA where you averaging 20 22 and 10 doesn't matter like it doesn't matter what you're doing with your numbers anymore it's are you do are you putting up numbers in an impactful way that's leading to team success that's what's going to get you selected in all of these things and 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 that's what's what I like about the uh, the selection process now is for the most part with, you know, there's going to be occasional, uh, 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 you know, people who get missed, but you know, the reality is, is the way you can differentiate yourself from the pack when all these guys are putting up numbers, you know, DeMar DeRozan's averaging 20 points a game, you know, Colin Sexton's averaging 20 points a game, Christian Woods averaging 20 points a game. The way you separate yourself is by doing it in an impactful way that leads to your team winning basketball games. And I'm okay with that as far as the selection process goes. And, and my thing is, like, if you're on that fringe, you put yourself at the risk of a selection process going the other direction. That's just part of the risk. And, and so for, in this case, like, you know, I think it's great for the league that you have so many good players. But this is, you know, it, it's what pushes everybody to get better. And, and I think I think that's the, the, that's the way you got to approach it. If you want to walk into next season and be like, this is the year I make the all-star team, okay, it doesn't mean you have to go put up 25 points. You have to be better than you know uh, all but 11 other guys in the conference, at a minimum, in order to be, be able to make that list. And I'm okay with that selection process. Yeah, and I mean, Christian Wood specifically complaining doesn't make any sense. He's played 17 of, tw- of 29 games this year. <laughs> like, dude, you've missed half your team's games. You're not an all-star. Yeah. Like part of part of being an all star is being available almost every single night. Like guys and complaining miss the- about getting not selected is like the hot thing to do every year. Yeah, yeah it, it, it's more and more guys every year who think that they're, they're deserving because they're putting up like you're referencing twenty points a game. More guys than ever are scoring twenty points a game. It's just the nature of how the game's played because of pace and because of how spaced out offenses are. It's just easy to score twenty points relative to past eras. Like probably easier than any time since the 1960s and 70s when the skill level just wasn't as high. So it was harder for guys individually to go get that many points. Um, yeah, it's just, I, I don't really feel for guys who think they've been snubbed. Like it, it just will never really resonate with me. Like, like you're referencing, if you want to make a team, go win games. Draymond Green made like three or four straight all-star games when he was averaging most years single-digit points. Mm-hmm. And that's because he was impacting winning at such a high level that his team was winning 60-plus games every year. If you mm-hmm. want to, if you want to make an all-star game, go have your team on a thir- on a 60 win pace by the all-star break. And you got a good chance. The Atlanta Hawks in 2015 are a great example. 
That was a team who won 60 games. And because they were on that pace, they had four guys make the all-star team. And did they really have four? Who was it? Was, it was Horver, uh, Horford, Horford, Teague. Yep. Those three. And then, ah, oh God, God, I'm blanking on it. That wasn't I'm, Joe Johnson, was it? It was not Joe Johnson. This is all right. This is terrible podcasting, but I'm going <laughs> to figure this out. Atlanta Hawks. Um, 2014-15, and Teague, Millsap. It was Millsap. 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 Right. Yeah, Millsap. one of the yeah. one of the more forgotten, like really good players of the past ten mm-hmm. years. Like, if he would have been in the right situation, I really think he could have helped a team win a title similar to Draymond. Different players, but similar type of impact on a night to night basis. But uh-huh. they they went sixty and twenty two that year. They had probably thirty five plus wins at the All Star break, and they had four guys make the All Star team. Mm-hmm. Like it, it really is that simple. And so many of these teams are neck and neck this year in both conferences. Basically, Utah. The Lakers and the Clippers have separated themselves in the West. And then in the East, it's like Philly and and Brooklyn kind of now. But it's it's such a jumbled mess. Unless you're putting up like Kevin Durant-level numbers, Giannis mm. Antetokounmpo-level numbers, Joel Embiid-level numbers, Jokic, all these guys who are the superstars of the league, you don't have any case because there's mm. so many guys averaging like 24 points a game. It's just – Zach Levine's averaging 28, and people are still arguing whether he's impactful or not. And he's doing it on 50-40-90 shooting. That's how crazy the league is right now. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. And li- uh, like I said, it, you know, it's kind of, you know, there's, it's like a basic societal concept. It's kind of like when, you know, as a, as the, as the United States of America, we choose to operate under the, you know, the idea that you're innocent until proven guilty instead of guilty until proven innocent. When you choose one of those paths, you recognize something might slip through. Like if you, if you're innocent until proven guilty, there's a chance that you might uh, let a guilty man go free. You know, and, and, and or vice versa. And that's the, that's the way this goes. Like when you're, you know, uh, running your all star selection based on on winning mattering the most, there's a chance that there's going to be a really good player that slips through the cracks because his team isn't winning. But I would rather have it that way than the alternative, which is some dude putting up numbers on a garbage team getting in over a guy who's more impactful. Like a Rudy Gobert, for instance. Hundred so percent. Yeah. So I think I think that's just the it's the it, we have made a decision with the way that we pick these awards that we would rather have that happen than the alternative, and I'm okay with that. So like, like, go ahead. Bam Adebayo is like clearly a better player than Julius Randle, but because the Heat weren't winning games when Jimmy was out, and when a lot of guys were out, Julius Randle made it over him. Like I, I don't think any team in the league right now would take. Randall over Bam if they're starting a playoff series tomorrow, but Randall might have had a bigger impact on winning. You could argue they're in the they're in the playoff hunt, right? I think they're right. like a six seed or something. So it's not like exactly he's on a garbage team. No, no, he's not on a garbage team. But my point is, like people thought that Randall made a bigger impact on winning through twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty games or whatever it is. And Miami's so, going to eat them in the standings, aren't they? That they are, yeah. And and a lot of that was Miami having a bunch of COVID issues. They had oh, yeah. half of their rosters only played like less than 20 games so that's part of it but you can make the argument that the knicks don't have a great roster either and they they're at 500 right now mm-hmm. so you can see the argument through 30 games that randall's mm-hmm. had an higher impact on winning i do think that there's like a conversation to be had about changing the nba awards because i don't like how so many awards are are regular season focused and there's basically one award that's playoff focused and that's the finals mvp which is a super flawed award because it takes into account just a handful of games when a playoff run is so much more complicated than that and in many cases the playoffs are won in the in the conference playoffs you know especially in the past with how weak the east has been and so you know 
What would be interesting to me is to kind of cater a certain award to the regular season and then to kind of flip it around for something else. What I was thinking is, what if you did like, you know, all-star to represent who was the best in the first half of the season, and then you did, you know, MVP for who was the most valuable during the regular season, but then you did something like did the all-NBA selections after the playoffs so that you at least have like a snapshot of the league for the totality of the experience counting the playoffs and the the regular season because I I don't like the idea of a playoffs MVP um, because I feel like the the playoffs MVP uh, it like it doesn't it should never go to a loser so that it ends up being a Finals MVP anyway in my opinion so like the idea of like a, a some sort of All NBA selection that kind of ha- takes place after the season would make sense to me because I do think that they need to recognize playoff success I'm just not sure that there's a good answer and quite frankly I don't think they'd ever actually change anything that's yeah i I think you could do both i mean i think you could keep the all nba teams as they are to take a snapshot of the regular season and then you pair it down for the playoffs you just do 10 guys or you do eight Mm -hmm. guys you you figure out some sort of pared down version of the all nba just like you're saying take a snapshot of what the league looked like looked like in the 2021 playoffs Mm -hmm. um i i think i would be in favor of a playoff mvp just because it can like delineate who the best player was through the playoffs and sometimes who the best player was through the finals like 2004 Pistons are a great example to me. I don't know if Chauncey Billups was like actually their best player, but he won the finals MVP. You could probably make an argument that Ben Wallace's overall impact was higher. Or Rip Hamilton had a really good playoffs, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm-hmm. Like there are years where it would be different. A lot of the years it would be the same. And that would be like, I think, another notch on some of the greatest players of all time's belts, right? Like LeBron would have four finals MVPs and four playoff MVPs. Mm-hmm. You know, like Jordan would probably have six and six. Like, Whereas, you know, guys who are maybe a little bit lesser of players, they, they would only have one finals MVP and one playoff MVP. I think it, it would just be another way because we the nature of basketball debates is like we love to argue this stuff. That's that's like most of the conversation on Twitter. We're always arguing about who's better at a specific time or who's better overall, who's the greatest player of all time. I think just adding more things like that, it makes the debate more fun. If we're going to continuously have these debates, let's have more ways to delineate them. Mm-hmm. For sure. And yeah, I, whether it's the playoffs MVP or changing the way you do all NBA, like I do think that there needs to be some sort of uh, uh, recognition for playoff performance. Yeah, and maybe for maybe for more than one guy like and that's that that's why like a first team all playoffs or something like that, because it just it, like there's too often in these debates. The go-to talking point is like, well, it's a regular season award, so I don't care what his playoff pedigree is. And it's like, that can't be the answer to everything. And it literally is because all of these accolades are regular season related. And then we would all agree that NBA playoff basketball is by far the the most entertaining aspect of the sport. You know, the regular season could be, you know, such, you know, monotonous, you know, bullshit that it makes more sense to, to kind of find some way to reward people for performing on that stage to begin with. You can, I mean, you could do a conference MVP for each conference in the playoffs, like at the end of the conference yeah. finals. And then you do, you vote at one, two, three, like Kawhi's 2017 playoffs are incredible, but they get kind of forgotten because Zaza went under his ankle. He rolls mm-hmm. his ankle. They get swept in the conference finals. That dude had an unbelievable series against Memphis. Like oh, yeah. legitimately was playing like one on five. Sometimes it felt like with what he was doing defensively, kind of shutting down Memphis's offense and then going back on the other end and scoring. But mm-hmm. that it, it's like a lost playoff run because there's nothing to really note it. He probably gets second in the MVP voting if they do a Western Conference playoff MVP before the final starts. Mm-hmm. And it, it would just be a nice way to remember specific years and specific instances where guys were awesome, but it kind of falls by the wayside because we only focus on the champion. 
Yep, I 100% agree. Um, so this is actually kind of an interesting topic that relates to our next topic having to do with the MVP, another award. Um, I think this has been really interesting because, you know, I couldn't help but think, you know, you know, I, uh, I think LeBron has been better this year than he has last year. Like, and that's something that you can see in the measurables and the, in the, you know, the immeasurables. He's to me, he looks more athletic than he has in the last couple of years, which who knows what that's a product of probably just being in a consistent routine since July. His percentages are up from every spot on the floor. You know, the, the, his, in the paint percentage, his mid range percentage, his three point percentage, he's just been better. And I had him as the, the slight favorite in the MVP, but he's had a couple of rough games in a row. His last game was one of the worst games I've seen him play. And then even though he had monster numbers and then the previous few games, he wasn't bad, but he wasn't, you know, MVP LeBron. And I remember thinking like, you know, I think LeBron might have slipped a little bit in the MVP race. And then I went and looked back at all of the other guys and everybody's slipping in the MVP race. And so I wanted to quick read some of these things off. So LeBron's lost three straight. Uh, Damian Lillard's lost three straight. Uh, and he had a case that was gaining steam when the Portland, when Portland got up to 18 and 10. Uh, Jokic has lost three out of his last five and continues to kind of hover around the middle of the conference. Uh, Joel Embiid, Philly is five and five in their last 10. He just sat another game. And his last two games, he was six for 20 and three for 13. So that's Joel Embiid, the guy who was hot on LeBron's heels, has been just as bad, uh, if not worse. Kawhi, uh, Kawhi probably has the best case to be kind of moving up into that uh, stratosphere. He's played he, four games in the last two weeks. Yeah, he missed three games last week. And then having Brooklyn was missing him to rent. And then uh, Steph looks great. But he hasn't won three games in a row all season, so it's hard to, to give it to him. And then Luka's on a hot streak, but his team just got back to 500. So at, at this point, like, everybody's slipping, and it's anybody's to grab. And, you know, everyone seems to notice that LeBron is slipping, you know, because he's such a polarizing player. But the reality is, is, like, the award is as up for grabs as it's ever been. Yeah, it's, I mean, LeBron and Steph are really the only ones in the league right now, at least in my opinion, that experience, like, a night-to-night referendum on their greatness and who they are as players. Um, and, and we'll get into the MVP thing because I think it is interesting. But they're the only ones in the league who, where it's like, oh my God, they just played a bad game against the Washington Wizards. Are we sure they're that great? You know what I mean? Like every loss becomes this huge referendum on who they've been for the past, for LeBron the past, you know, 15 years, for Steph the past seven years, where I, I don't see any other superstar in the league where they're like, their big game, their, their bad games, excuse me, goes so notice. Like Dame mm-hmm. has bad games all the time, but the one time he scores 40, we get Bill Simmons and Chris Haynes talking about, well, is Dame on Steph's heels again? Like, are they kind of the same? Well, D- Dame has Dame has more responsibility as a playmaker, so, you know, he's he's probably better than Steph, which is just such a ridiculous conversation, by the way. Like, uh-huh. Steph, Steph is a better playmaker than Dame. Anybody who doesn't know that doesn't watch basketball correctly. I'm sorry. I, ju- I just got to that Mark Spears, or uh, the, uh, Chris Haynes. The, the Chris Haynes podcast with uh, uh, Bill Simmons, and it was – I, I, I'm trying to be nice because I do believe that Steph fans are a little irrational to the, the gap between the two. I think there is a clearly discernible gap between the two, but I don't think it's very big. And uh, that podcast did a poor job of explaining the two, like in almost a way that uh, seemed, you know, like they didn't really understand what Steph does. Uh, but anyway, like I a hundred percent agree with you. And like, you know, it's, it's funny with the, the LeBron thing, like, uh, 
I've been watching this guy his whole career. I've seen him have games like that before, even in his very best years, even in 2013, even in 2016, even in 2018, even last year with how good he was. Like every once in a while in the regular season, he just has a stinker, man. Like I don't, I don't know what to tell you. Like he did it in the playoffs last year against the Nuggets in game four. He was horrible. Uh, it had a couple of good defensive plays at the end on Jamal Murray, but was really bad in the second half. A lot of ugly turnovers, a lot of mistakes, and then and then came back in game five and looked like the best version of himself. Like this is just a thing that happens. And we have bad games. Everybody no one's immune to them. Like Steph had a bad shooting night a few a few nights ago. Uh Joel Embiid goes three for thirteen. Now I've been very busy in my personal life, so I haven't I haven't been as paying attention, but I haven't seen a lot of people talking about Joel Embiid. You know, it's really getting locked up by the Raptors. I know they won one of the games, but they lost yeah. the other. The Raptors so always do a nice job. The Raptors always do a nice job on him. That's they didn't yeah. surprise me that they did. Uh, yeah, but. and, and the, the yeah the point is is like like no one's immune to these these off games, and I you know, but I, I, that's just the nature of Twitter, especially with Steph and with LeBron. It's like we every single dribble, every single shot, every single mistake is like just a complete referendum on everything that they've accomplished in their life. And it, it, it's, it's super annoying. Well, I think it's just, it's amplified by the fact that we hold them to their past performances, right? Like Steph isn't in the MVP conversation, probably because he's had his two MVP seasons were when his team won 67 and 73 games. Mm-hmm. Like LeBron, when he won most of his MVPs or well, what he did win his MVPs, his teams were winning 60 plus games. And he was like very, very clearly the best player in the league. So yeah. when there isn't that same gap, it's like the same kind of fatigue that Michael Jordan went through with MVP voters. Why Barkley gets in a 93 and why Malone gets in a 97. Mm-hmm. Like you just, you have to almost outperform your past self if you've been so great before, whereas like Jokic and Embiid, it's, they really haven't been at this level before. So we're like, wow, these guys are incredible. It's something new. It's something fresh. It's just human nature to not like really be as hard on those two guys. Cause we haven't seen this level of play from them before, but I am oh, interested. 100%. I am interested to see where you kind of have things stacked up right now. Cause I think we're probably going to differ a little bit. Okay. So, I mean, I, I still, I still am right kind of where I was. Like I have I have LeBron with a very slight lead, even though he's been playing less well, um, just strictly because Embiid hasn't taken advantage of that. Like LeBron left the door open for Embiid to pass him, and Embiid hasn't been good enough. Um, uh, I do think that Luka is very much going to get into the conversation here because if you're going to factor in Steph and Jokic, which I do, I think uh, I think I'd probably have... Uh, I'd probably have, you know, Steph and Dame fighting for that five spot and then Luca kind of right behind the two of them. And I, I, I do think that those guys have kind of inched into the conversation as as uh, uh, Embiid and LeBron have slipped. But I don't think I don't think anybody has made who like who's playing well enough right now and their team succeeding well enough to to like confidently step up and say they've changed the conversation. You know, that's where I'm at. Nobody totally overall, but I'm almost leaning Jokic right now. He, really? Th- that roster is like entirely depleted. They they have like nobody healthy. Um, th- their their subs last night were Zeke Nanji, who's a rookie, F- Facundo Campazzo, who's like a, a really nice player. I think he's a really good player. I think he could help some teams as a backup point guard. But that's just a weird fit in Denver because they already have a good backup point guard in Monty Morris. He's just another tiny guy who like makes really good decisions. But it's just a weird fit on that roster. And then the other guy playing was like Isaiah Hartenstein, who's bounced around probably four or five different teams. He can't stick anywhere. 
Jokic mm-hmm. the last three or the last two weeks. So I broke down who my top three are right now. It's still Jokic, Embiid, and LeBron. Not in that necessarily order, but th- that is my top three. Jokic the last th- uh, two weeks, 25, 9, and 8 on 55, 43, 97. His team is 5 and 3. Embiid is 31, 13, and 4 on 47, 46, 87. And his team is 4 and 3. LeBron is 26, 8, and 9 on 51, 19, 66. And his team is 3 and 4. So if we're just narrowing down the last two weeks, I think those other two guys have been better than LeBron. Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily vault them to the top of the race above him because I think it's it still is all too jumbled, right? Especially yeah. because Denver hasn't really won enough games, even though they're only a game back of fifth and two games back of fourth. So if they w- if they roll off a couple in a row, I think and be or excuse me, Jokic probably takes the lead in this thing because he has been incredible. Forty four last night, he had I think close to fifty against Boston last week. He's I mean, he's been ridiculous. I called him the best offensive player in the league last night, and I don't think that's crazy. Um, but it, it's if you honestly gun to my head right now, I would say it's Jokic. I would p- have Jokic as my MVP at this moment, but that could easily change in the next week if Denver loses a couple and you know Philly starts playing well again or the Lakers start playing well again, mm-hmm. especially if they don't have AD. Yeah, I, I think, I think I'm okay with that. Um, uh, I'm okay with the case for any player. I think the biggest opinion that I would push back on right now is this idea that anybody is falling out of the race or giving up their chance to win when you factor in the fact that everybody's case is getting weaker over the last couple of weeks as opposed to, you know, if we, you know, back up a little bit and everybody's case looked so good, especially Kawhi, Embiid, and LeBron. They just had these like ironclad classic MVP cases and it was being referred to as like this you know up for grabs MVP but now it's like even more up for grabs because the guys at the top have kind of receded down uh into that other group and so I'm more willing to hear a case for Jokic now than I was a few weeks ago uh just by virtue of the fact that the guys on the top are the uh, are are getting worse but yeah I I wouldn't I wouldn't have made the case for Jokic last time we talked about I think I had him third but I had LeBron and Embiid in their own tier basically right Mm -hmm. now I I think I'd have those three kind of in the same tier and and Kawhi actually would be there too if he hadn't missed four of the last eight games right he he keeps missing games like you can't be in the conversation especially for MVP if you keep missing games Mm mm-hmm I agree. And and it's going to end up being nitpicked. All these cases are going to get nitpicked like that at the end of the year. Like at the end of the year, you're going to see, you know, like they're going to be talking about Jokic's record. They're going to be talking about, oh, how did LeBron do when AD was out? They're going to be talking about, you know, uh, Embiid and, you know, uh, 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 him missing games and Kawhi missing games. And it's all just going to be kind of a jumble at the top and they're going to be nitpicking between all these guys is my guess yeah the thing that has been annoying to me about like framing lebron's mvp conversation is like well schroeder and ad are out it's like great man everybody every team this year has injuries and COVID issues like it doesn't matter you still have to win games the warriors have been playing without centers for like two and a half weeks and they found a way to like maintain and stay around 500 i don't think that makes Steph an mvp but there's certainly worse roster situations right now than the LA Lakers. They still have a lot of really good players who are healthy. And yeah, you I, can argue that like Vogel should be playing Montrez a little bit more, especially in 80s absence, and he probably should have against Washington a couple nights ago. But at the end of the day, if LeBron really, really wants to be the MVP and make his case stronger, you don't lose to the Washington Wizards when Russell Westbrook is literally trying to throw the game like six <laughs> separate occasions in the last two minutes. That's it's hilarious watching him play now because Russbrook, I mean, because he's like doing, he's trying to do the same things that he was doing five years ago. And he has like 70% of the same athleticism. It's, it's like kind of sad, but you got to give the guy credit, I guess, for just 
being mentally strong enough to try to be the same guy. Did you watch that whole game or did you just see the end of it? Uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure the Warriors were playing that night too. So I, I caught like the end of the third and then all of the fourth quarter in overtime. So quickly in defense of Russ, uh, he was the reason they came back and took the lead in that game. Uh, he did like, it kind of reminds me of what happened with him with Houston uh, last year. Defensive personnel, but they do have a lot of guys who could shoot, and that's how you can kind of keep things open. and And uh, I, I really liked the job Rui Hachimura did on LeBron, uh, mainly just with ball pressure. And the big thing with ball pressure is it's fatiguing. And I feel like over the course of the game, it started to get to LeBron and make it so that he was less, he was more hesitant to drive because he was tired. The I couldn't understand why they put Westbrook on um, LeBron on the last possession of regulation. I thought Hachimura well, they who's, switched the screen super easily yeah, on the inbound, yeah, like a pin down. Like they did a pin down, and Rui just grabbed the screener, and Russ went with him because he probably knew Russ was just going to do that because that's it's Russ. Like you just know he's going to try to take the assignment there. But I, I've argued this for a little while now. I think because Hachimura is like a guy that came into the NBA with defensive warts. Um, like the, the big selling point was his offense and then, but he had a ton of defensive deficiencies. So draft people didn't love him that much, but he is big. He is athletic and he is kind of long. I think the key to slowing down LeBron at this point is more guys like that bigger bodies because he doesn't have that same quickness advantage he used to have, right? When you used to put a big guy on him, he just go right around him. It's not the same anymore. If I was, if I was trying to beat LeBron, I would, tend to put bigger bodies on him and more worry more about him bullying me in the post than him beating me off the dribble 25 times because of his quickness. And I mm. think it, it is a regular season game against the Washington Wizards. I'm not drawing any grand conclusion from it, but I think Rui kind of underscores an interesting um, way to kind of frame stopping LeBron. Cause at the end of the day, that's what the playoffs come down to a lot of the time. Can you stop LeBron James enough to win an NBA championship? <laughs> I, a I lot think- of teams can't. I think uh, there was a play at the end of regulation where LeBron just did a basic dribble drive move on Rui Hachimura and got all the way to the basket for a layup. It was with like, I think a minute left. It was before the shot that he had on Russ. And I think like it just, so this is a good time to segue to the Lakers because the, just in the way that they've been playing. Cause I think like, you know, there's a ten that there. I, I talked about this on Twitter the other day. They have all of these players that are excellent in the role that they're being asked to fill. And the example I used on Twitter was the Morris twins. So Markeith Morris is a much better player for the Lakers than he would be for another team because the Lakers literally only need Markeith Morris to shoot spot up threes, to be a ball mover, not a ball stopper. And then on the other end to play his ass off. However, like Marcus Morris is a better basketball player. He's more skilled. He's more athletic. He does everything better than Markeith Morris, but Markeith, Marcus Morris would be a bad fit on the Lakers because he's a ball stopper because he would be, he would, he would struggle to fit into what the Lakers are explicitly asking him to do. Ironically though, with Dennis Schroeder out and with Anthony Davis out and Zach Lowe talked about this on his podcast the other day, like they basically have one guy who can coherently dribble. 
And, and so all of a sudden, these, these welcome to the players, 2021 Golden State Warriors. No, I had, I had totally get <laughs> it. And, I, and for the record, I agree with you in your point yeah. about like not complaining because everybody's been screwed. But my, all, all I'm saying is like when you're evaluating the long term, uh, you know, uh, prospects of this Laker team, this is pointless. Because literally all of these guys are being asked. Caruso is now being asked to run the offense. You know, like Montrezl Harrell is now being asked to use a be be a high usage guy. Like literally a guy who's going to be average twenty plus points a game during this stretch. Like they're this evaluating this Laker team now is pointless. Because guess what? If they don't have Dennis or AD, they might lose in the first round because they were never constructed to have LeBron James literally run the entire offense by himself and then have all these defensive-minded role players. They were constructed to have all of these guys that would excel in tiny roles and to have Dennis Schroeder and Anthony Davis carry the uh, uh, with LeBron carry the complicated parts of the offense. And, and so I, I just I, – I agree. LeBron has to find a way to win some of these games for his MVP case. However – and all these games matter for the standings. However, I don't – about the Lakers because Dennis Schroeder is going to play. Okay, Dennis Schroeder is going to play. Yeah, I'm not. No, I'm not drawing any long term conclusions from that. That would be stupid. Mm-hmm. My my point is just like a lot of guys are doing a lot with a little right now, just in terms of offensive output and and winning enough games. And the Lakers the last week have not looked great. That's my that's my only point in LeBron's MVP case is that. You know, there's a lot of guys who have really bad situations right now and are doing a lot with those situations. Like Dame is Dame is down CJ and and Nurk right now, right? And they've they've slid recently, but they were playing really well before that without those guys. So mm-hmm. asking LeBron to do the same to bolster his MVP case is not ridiculous at all, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I'm not making any long term conclusions at all. Like if this if this team, like you're saying, doesn't have Schroeder and AD, they're screwed. The whole reason Shorter was brought in was to lessen LeBron's load in the regular season and to be insurance for like an Anthony Davis injury in terms of just carrying offensive load. The fact that both those guys are hurt has definitely thrown a wrench in the Lakers season, but it's no reason to like freak out. There's, there's too many fan bases doing that this year. Like Miami's fan base freaking out when Jimmy and Avery Bradley and half their rotation was hurt. Like, oh my God, light everything on fire, trade everyone. It's like, guys, half your rotation isn't playing right now. Yeah, you're Celtic, just not a good basketball team right now. Celtics fans are like kind of doing the same thing. They're without like maybe their second or third most important player, Marcus Smart. And Kemba hasn't been great, which I think some people could have predicted. Um, I was saying that last year, like, man, that contract looks kind of bad. He's <laughs> tiny. He, if he loses his quickness, it's going to look really ugly. But they don't have like their second most important player. Like quit drawing mm-hmm. conclusions about the team on a whole when some of your most important guys are missing. that's It was the same thing people were doing about the Warriors four games into the season, five games into the season. Draymond Green wasn't playing, and people were saying, oh, man, this Warriors team might be the worst team in the league. It's like, no, their second-best player isn't playing in the basketball games. I might and have been it, one of those people. I know you were. I know you were. <laughs> my, my like Most teams do not have the depth to withstand their second-best player not playing. It's just the facts. No, like And look. And unless you're the Lakers, unless you're the Clippers, unless you're well, Brooklyn, the Lakers, Brooklyn, though. yeah, the but, Lakers. Without but it's, it, AD, they suck. Yeah, exactly. Without both those guys, if it was just AD, I think they'd look a lot better. I like, agree, and they did. They beat the Timberwolves. Brooklyn has Lakers. enough. Brooklyn has enough with with Kevin Durant out because they have two other incredible offensive players, and they can still score 120 points a game. So. I do. I yeah. I I I think like. Because uh, Ramona Shelburne went on with Zach Lowe, it basically was like this: this three-game losing streak matters. And a Laker, Laker Twitter, for the record, burned her to the ground when she did that, and she kind of deserved it because, like, that, like, 
evaluating this team at this phase is pointless. Evaluating the heat outside of the context of all their guys is pointless because chances are by the time we get to late May, um, uh, things will look a little different and everyone will be healthy and put together for the most part, with the exception of maybe a, a handful of really unfortunate injuries. But I, I don't know. I, I'll, all I'm saying is like, like, for instance, I think the Lakers are going to get killed tonight by the Jazz. The, the line in Vegas is absurd. They're a nine-point nine. underdog. The Jazz are because, a freaking machine, man. The Jazz are a well, machine. Exactly. And, the, and, and Vegas knows, like, guess what? They don't have a big that can get Rudy Gobert out of the paint. So, it, it, like, it's going to be a shit show. That game is going to be a shit show. Uh, like, like uh, uh, people who don't know what they're seeing are going to be begging LeBron to do more tonight, and he's not going to be able to do more. And uh, it, But, yeah, I, I just – Everything needs to be taken with a grain of salt for all of these teams in the chaos that is the 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 COVID regular season. Mm-hmm, exactly, and that's what I don't think enough people are doing. They're not people aren't paying credence to that. Like on, on one hand, we're saying, "Oh, like COVID, it's the weirdest season ever." There's so many guys who are out, and these fan bases turn around and flip out when half the rotation isn't playing. Like, and, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and and the regular season is so is so tricky with this kind of stuff. Like I talked about this a little bit on the short pod that I did on Monday, but like. Brooklyn running a switching defense, like that's gonna that's gonna mess with a lot of teams in the regular season. Like it's just you know because the Clippers, for instance, have actually been playing really well. They've been one of the more impressive teams uh, for me personally this season. They're super deep. They, that's uh, what I, I still I think have the same overall concerns, but they're really really deep. They have a lot of good players. Like hmm. even Terrence Mann, who doesn't get playing time a lot of the nights when they're healthy, he's an awesome NBA player. He that's a guy who's going to be in the league for twelve years. They just have a ton of depth. Over Luke Kennard lately. Yep, as he sh- honestly as he should be, and that Luke Kennard contract, yikes. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we'll still hear from Luca at some point eventually. The I, but like with the Clippers, what's fascinating is is like like they they've been playing really good basketball lately. I don't think that the Brooklyn Nets without KD are that good of a team. However, they're just you're popping into a random regular season game against a team that switches everything. Which, as of to my knowledge, there's not another team in the league that switches as much as them right now. Um, I don't watch all 30 teams, but I don't know of any team. You'll, you'll see a little bit of switching. Some teams switch two through three, uh, two through four. Some teams will, you know, will switch specific actions. But the Brooklyn Nets literally switch everything. So every single action you run, and they literally do that because Kyrie and James Harden famously die on every screen that's ever set on them. They have to. If they didn't run a, if they ran a traditional defense, they would get lit on fire. But the point is, is like a team like a team like uh, the Clippers in particular, a team like the Lakers. Those kinds of teams, uh, uh, Philly's actually a good example of this too. Got uh, with the huge size advantage of Ben Simmons on those guards. Like you're going to have to um, uh, do that for several games in a row, and it kind of reminds me of playing Houston in the past, where it was like in the regular season, if you kind of played into their gimmick, you'd get beat. But if you, if the teams that really focused up and 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 had a detailed attack to their defense had success, and I really do think like Brooklyn's kind of. Uh, I believe in Brooklyn, but I think some of this is smoke and mirrors with their with their regular season kind of catching teams off guard with their scheme. I, I'm pretty sure when the trade first happened, I predicted something like they were going to go on a huge run. You know, they were just going to be blowing teams out, scoring a bunch of points, and they're, everybody's going to be like, oh, my God, who can stop this Brooklyn team? <laughs> the warts still remain. Like, they very well might win the NBA championship. I'm not going to sit here and say they're not going to, especially with – 
injuries obviously playing a factor as they always do. And if things keep looking how they're looking, where every team in the league seemingly at some point is going through these major injury issues, then yeah, I think Brooklyn has a chance to win the title. But if everybody's healthy, they still wouldn't be my pick. I like if Harden is a very good post defender. So I think putting him on, on like a Giannis or an Embiid eight, 10 times a game, isn't the worst option in the world. He's very sturdy. Um, he's really strong. Like he plays angles. Well, he actually is good one-on-one in the post, but if like you're doing that with Kyrie as well, he's going to get eaten alive. Like he has quick hands and I think he'll battle a little bit when push comes to shove, but the switching defense that like he succeeded in, in 2016, the Warriors didn't have a real post threat to like actually go at him. So they were able to switch those actions and it was more perimeter perimeter oriented. Whereas like Embiid and Giannis will destroy him in the post. Like Giannis, besides like like four or five guys in the league, Giannis destroys everybody in the post. Same mm-hmm. with Embiid. Yeah. It, so what I think is interesting is, you know, the, the Golden State Warriors with Kevin Durant and Steph Curry managed to solve the 2018 rocket switching defense and they really lit him on fire in game six and seven, especially in the second halves. And that was when the switching defense included Trevor Ariza and PJ Tucker and literally just a, a like a bunch of uh, Chris Paul was on that team. Like they were much, much, much better with their defensive personnel. You're running a switching scheme with Kyrie, who is going to be uh, uh, an absolute liability in specific matchups. James Harden, who is a good post defender, but cannot defend in space. Uh, Joe Harris is fine. He's fine, but he's not as good as any of those guys on the 2018 Rockets. Jeff Green is fine. He's not as good as uh, Trevor Ariza was in 2008. Kevin Durant, to to be determined whether or not he takes that on personally. But my point is, is like, you know, there's, you might, you might see a team drop game one to them because they're just caught completely off guard. Then that might, that might very well end up being something that could swing a series. But the point is, is like, they're going to sit down and watch the tape and they're going to play him a second time and they're going to play him a third time. And then they're suddenly going to realize like, wait, if we, if we set this specific action, we can get Kyrie onto Ben Simmons and Ben Simmons can literally just rip through and go to the rim. And it's a foul or a layup every time. And, and, and or it's it, a it, wide open three for Seth Curry or, or exactly. Tobias Harris. Like they're going to get really good shots every single time. Because those Rockets teams were really good when things broke down uh, in, in their back end rotations and stuff. That this team, it's like one or two extra passes, and they're just going to quit. And so I, I, I do. Think the Rockets, that, the Rockets were put together to be a switching team. Like that's how they were constructed. Daryl yeah. Morey and, and his brain trust looked at the roster, and they got a coach, Jeff Bizdelic, who like really knew how to implement a switching scheme. And they said, "This is what we're going to do." Mm-hmm. That's not how this Brooklyn Nets roster was put together. Mm-hmm. Exactly. They they're they're switching out of necessity. Having to do with the fact that their personnel literally cannot run a traditional defensive scheme. Like DeAndre Jordan would be. Let's see. We touched on. Um, LeBron, uh, the Portland, we can't really talk about because they're without CJ. CJ, I think is supposed to come back after the all-star break. Yep. Um, Philly's been hot and cold. The thing with Philly is for me is like similar to the Utah thing. They haven't, they don't really have that signature win, uh, outside of the, the, the Laker game, which they very well could have lost. Um, but the, uh, uh, the same, same thing with Utah. Just, I'd, I'd like to see them 
put together some quality wins. They're five and five in their last 10 and they haven't really been playing that great a competition. So I'm not really uh, uh, super impressed by them as of late. Um, uh, did you see that warrior schedule that came out? Yeah. Jazz Clippers Lakers to, uh, <laughs> to start right after the all-star break. Well, you saw the games before that too, right? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, a, it's a pretty tough schedule coming up too. like, this is a very crucial stretch for whether they're actually going to even maybe make the play in or not. So, uh, yeah, they're what they're two games over 500 as of right now. Mm-hmm. They would, if they go three and five over this next eight game stretch, which includes the Pacers, Hornets, Lakers, Blazers, Suns, Clippers, Jazz, Lakers, then you're at, looking at being a 500 team through uh, over half the season. It's, uh, the, we, they were talking about this this morning. There's like a decent chance that you're going to see some crazy playing game that has like Luka Doncic versus Steph Curry or something like that. It's gonna I know, be- I know, or shoot. Luka versus Jokic, Jokic versus Steph. Like these are all possibilities that could happen, which is just, I think it goes to something that we wanted to touch on today, like the level of play in the league. Mm-hmm. You know, it, the amount of offensive talent, like individual offensive talent, and we've touched on this a little bit before, is probably higher than any point in league history. What I am interested to see what this eventually leads to, and I think we are seeing more of it with guys like Steph and guys with like Jokic, can these humongous offensive talents, like these absurdly dominant offensive talents, learn how to integrate into like a more team-oriented system? Because a lot of the younger guys coming in, they don't really know how to do that. Should we lose connection? Shoot. You still there? Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. How much? Where did you lose me at? Uh, didn't lose anything. You can keep. Okay, going. perfect, yeah. perfect. No, so I, I just think, yeah, I, like you have guys like Trey and Luca coming in the league who are like unreal offensive talents. They they can do things with the basketball that like literally maybe no twenty year olds in the history of the game could have done in terms of just running an entire offense and making the correct read almost every single time, knowing when to to pass, dribble, shoot, like all those things. But they're they're going to be easy to stop in a, in a playoff series against great defenses because they only basically do this one thing. They play this one style, and if you can stop that, if you have the right personnel to stop it, they're going to falter. So I, I, I think it's just interesting to see where this entire thing eventually goes because individual play can only get you so far. It really can't unless – and LeBron doesn't play like those guys, but he has leaned that way in certain years. He can do it because he's like the greatest athlete of all time. And he makes he the right tired, decision. Yeah, he doesn't get tired. He doesn't get as tired. And, and when he does get tired, he can go on the post in the post and lean on you for eight seconds to honestly rest and then go get an easy shot anyway and get a layup or a kick out for a three. Like mm-hmm. I've said this before, and I'll, I'm going to say it till I'm blue in the face, basing your offensive system and like the way that you want to play basketball off of what, the way that LeBron James played basketball is maybe the most foolish thing of all time. We saw the same thing in the 2000s, though, with the entire MJ generation. You know, guys like Kobe was able to do it because Kobe was supremely talented. But like guys like Tracy McGrady or Vince Carter or like all these guys who just wanted to play out of the mid post and do a bunch of ISOs and score a bunch of points, that's not really going to like lead to successful basketball if you're not the guy who's the most talented of all time at it. It just this seems to always happen when there's a super influential player and it's the same thing's going to happen with Steph. You're going to have all these guys launching deep threes. So we've seen it already with Trey and it's like, you're, you're not shooting 42% from three. Like you're not just, you're not going to be the same level as of, of effectiveness. That's actually a really interesting point about how like LeBron's impact on the league is leading to this like heliocentric style. 
Um, I, I do think like this is something that I, I told you I wanted to talk about today because it's something that's been uh, a popular topic as of late um, uh, in in the Twitter circles. And like, there's a lot of people complaining about the quality of the NBA for various reasons. And I'm not necessarily saying any of their specific opinions are wrong. Like, you know what? I agree. I think the broadcasts are a little bit too much like podcasts and not enough like uh, basketball analysis that I agree with. Um, I think NBA Twitter is a toxic place. I think the, uh, you know, all of the mainstream TV shows that cover the league are too caught up in narratives and, and, you know, kind of teenager type behavior. I, I agree with that. I agree. I think that like, uh, you don't see that stuff with the NFL or even the MLB. Like they're actually, mm-hmm. most of those shows, pregame, postgame, uh, daytime shows, they're trying to analyze the game. That's just not mm-hmm. the case with the NBA. No, I agree. And I think, you know, the, uh, 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 everything about refereeing is in, is in a really dark place. There's too many three point shot attempts. I agree with all of that. That's all true. I think where I push back with people is like, there are huge positives as well. There are more stars in the league than ever before. More, and I'm not even just talking about like what we were talking about earlier, like skilled players. I'm saying like they're legitimately right now, three of the top 12 players ever are playing and are at the top of their game. You know, we have an absurd amount of talent. Shot making is at an all time high. And I think what we forget with this kind of stuff is like every era had huge glaring flaws. Like the late nineties were so bad in terms of how stuck in the mud they were that they literally had to change the rules. Like that's a thing that happened, you know? And uh, if you, if you go back and watch the 1980s, if you like, there was that clip that used to fly around uh, every once in a while about the 1987 finals uh, Celtics Lakers in that game seven or something and how trash the first few minutes of the games were like, yeah, like basketball was a little bit ugly back then in, in a lot of ways. It was pretty in some ways, you know, some of the ball movement stuff, but the overall quality of the product wasn't great. And and so all I'm saying is like I think part of this has to do with just kind of the complaining era we're in and us being so negative about what we're, of what we're seeing. And all I would say is should we talk about the issues? Yeah. Should we strive to be better? Yeah. Are there things we can change? Yeah. But like I'm loving watching the NBA this year. Like the Lakers have no chance of beating the Jazz, and I'm stoked to watch it because I, you know, it's like I get to ch- check out a team that I've been following in the Jazz, and I and I like watching LeBron James play. It's like I get Steph with a a, a tough road game in Indiana. It's gonna be a challenging game for him. Like there are a lot of reasons to really enjoy the uh, uh, parts of the NBA, and we have fans coming back eventually. So I just maybe I'm just being you know Mister Positive, but. I, I do I do get a little frustrated with people complaining a little too much about all of this. I think what's important to note is like we're basketball nerds. We talk about it all day on Twitter. We do podcasts about it. Like we live and breathe this stuff. The the conversation is more about okay, how can we pull the more casual fan into the game, right? Like how can we bring them back to booster ratings again? And I think a lot of it really stems down to getting better analysis on the TV shows. Like these. Almost anybody who watches like knows these guys are jokes. Like they don't actually want to analyze the game. They just want to like get off a talking point, get off an agenda and then hop off and like get a bunch of Twitter mentions and like just kind of fuel the cycle and then go back and do it again the next day. And then the league also has to figure out how to like kind of buoy and market these other stars. Like besides like a LeBron or a Steph or a Kevin Durant, like they got to figure out a way to inter- to market these international guys. And I don't know if I'm smart enough to be like the guy to figure that out. But like you got to figure out a way to market Giannis better. I was watching Jokic's post game interview last night after he drops forty four points against um, 
the Blazers has like an incredible performance. And he's like this super personable, hilarious dude. He's joking around with Shaq. He's joking around with D Wade. Like he's giving back and forth with all these guys. And you never hear anything about him on like a national scale. Like, what are we doing here? The dude is unbelievable. He's a top three MVP candidate. He's got a really good personality. And yeah, the English is a little bit broken and that makes it a little bit tough sometimes. But if you get him to just talk for a couple minutes, you like, he has a really good personality. The league has to figure out like a better way to not just have like this LeBron centric, like media complex to where like almost everything plays off of him in a way. Like a lot of the Steph Curry conversation occurs because like, oh, he's not better than LeBron. Or like he doesn't measure up to LeBron. It's like, yeah, but Steph is still amazing. So is Kevin Durant. Maybe they don't measure up to LeBron. Maybe they don't. But they're still amazing players in their own right. Not everything has to be framed in this like, oh, my God, like, is he is he at the same level as this guy? It's like, no, these guys are just incredible players. Let's like break them down for what they are. And that's what the NFL does an amazing job of. The guys who are playing well, they get credit. They analyze their games and they tell you exactly what they're doing well in a very digestible way. The NBA does not do that. Unequivocally, they do not, and it hurts the product. And I will say that till I'm blue in the face. Like, yes, there are a lot of good things, but if you can't draw the casual fan in, none of it matters really because the league will never be in a good spot, especially with all the COVID stuff. So I don't disagree with anything you said. I I think the the NBA media coverage is too LeBron centric. Doesn't do a good job of developing its younger stars. I think analysis is at an all time low. I struggle with the broadcast. I struggle with all this stuff. I personally have been so deeply bothered by the refereeing in the league right now. Uh, I agree it's with all. So that. bad. It's, it's so, 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 bad. so 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 bad. There, there was there was a clip like. Oh, it was uh, our guy Bobby on Twitter. Lakers fan, but also a huge Steph fan. Steph got absolutely waylaid on a three, like took a regular three and one of New York's guys closed out on him and like basically knocked him over this late in the fourth quarter. No foul call. Next possession, Steph comes down. He comes off a pick and roll and like kind of leans into Taj Gibson as he gets to the free throw line and flails a little bit and throws up a floater and he makes it and he gets an and one. There's the issue right there. Like you're rewarding flopping over a guy like getting absolutely crushed because he didn't accentuate or act it in the right way. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you fix that. Like that, that is a problem where it's like, what do you do even do to address it? If the refs can't tell the difference between like a clear guy getting run over and then a guy flopping. So I, I don't know how you fix it either. Uh, if honestly, what I think the only, the only path that would make any sense to me is to get some former player to uh, become the new NBA head of referees or to put a player panel together, a panel kind of like uh, the NBA PA just get some group of highly influential players, like five or six of them that, you know, get on a Zoom call with the refs every week and talk about their concerns, you know, because th- that kind of thing would uh, that kind of thing would make more sense to me, because I, I do think a lot of guards similar to Popovich a few years ago saying like, oh, I don't want to shoot all these threes, but I'm doing it because that's the way you win games. Maybe maybe that's what it takes is getting, you know, a Chris Paul. Or yeah, that, that, that's the name I was going to bring up. Get Chris, Chris, get Chris Paul in there. I think he'd be amazing at something like that. Yeah. And have him be like, look, man, I'm doing this stuff because it works, but I don't want to do this stuff. You know, like do, you know, f- that would be the, the biggest way. Cause like at the end of the day, um, I, I always think about it like the spirit of the rule. Um, uh, you know, it's kind of like the, the play that always gets debated having to do with the ball getting hit out of bounds and like it very clearly, the dude hits it out of bounds, but if you look at it frame by frame, it kind of gr- gr- you know grazes his finger on the way out. It's like the spirit of the rule is if the dude slaps the ball out of my hand, it's my ball. You know, yep. like that's that. Or like 
Two guys are going up for a rebound. The one guy comes over the top of the other guy's hand, only hits the guy's hand, doesn't hit the ball, but he pushes the guy's hand, and the, now the ball goes out on the one guy because his hand got pushed. Exactly. It's like the same type of thing. It's like, dude, just use your brain. You know what the right call is. Just make the right call. Use discretion. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And like it, that, that to me is fixable uh, uh, essentially by trying to reframe the, uh, the entire referee focus from a really analytical, like, uh, uh, you know, rules-based approach to more of like a, hey, our job here is to, is to keep a basketball game organized. Not to not to strictly follow these these specific rules because I think as soon as that kind of thing uh, takes place, because uh, that's what happens in a pickup game. When we play a pickup game, you know, I was playing basketball this morning. Like, there's just kind of a general understanding. Like, if I, you know, if, if I drive to the basket and I'm uh, and I'm initiating a ton of contact and some dude slaps me at the end, like. I don't know that I can call that because I'm the one who's initiating all the contact. And if I do, chances are everybody on the floor is going to yell at me or look at me a certain way. And and, and, and and there's a million other examples like that that I don't want to get into. But the point is, is like in a pickup game, it's the general set of, uh, of rules that we're going by is we need to keep this a basketball game. You know, like we need to like we need to kind of stick within this framework of the basketball game. Whereas like the refs, it's like. Oh, well, he was chasing him over the top of that pick and roll. And technically he had his hand on his arm as he was going up or, you know, uh, you, there's a, a, you get what I'm saying. It's just mm. I, I think like it, it's an entire my, like it's an entire framework of the way that the refs look at this, because if you watch refs, uh, Ryan Rossillo had uh, the, the, the lead ref guy on his podcast a couple uh, like a couple months ago. And uh, and he was talking to him and they're they're indignant about this. Like the way they talk about it, it's like we're we're doing our job, you know. Like like at one point, he literally looked at Ryan. He's like, "Well, Ryan, is is it a foul?" And Ryan's like, "Yeah, man, but that's not what the that's not the way basketball is supposed to be." It's like that you have to understand that that it, you're you're thinking about it too analytically and too much on like a a, a, a you know very, like identifying certain types of contact as opposed to just like is that a basketball play? Yes. Is that defender playing good, clean, you know, defensive basketball or, or is he being overzealous? Like if I'm chasing Dame around a screen and he, and you don't let me chase him, then you're giving Dame too much of an advantage. And now all of the one-on-one elements of the game are gone. And and that's where I have a problem with it. I I think it's, I mean, there's a couple things here. I think it's like anything in society where like we overcorrect, right? Like refereeing, there probably was some issues with like, we didn't get enough calls, right. And like teams lost playoff series and championships because of that. And now we've like leaned so far in the other direction where it's like everything has to be by the letter of the law that there's like no room for human interpretation. Mm. Um, and I think maybe the bigger issue, especially late in games and Bill Simmons and Ryan Russell talked about this. So I don't want to like go on the same tangent that they did, but like the, the replays at the end of the games, it's like, you're ruining all of the tension and like all the excitement that goes into like any type of high climax, like sport event where it's like, we don't know who's going to win. Like there's a bunch of tension here because the outcome is still in the balance. And then we do a replay for like four minutes and we try to figure out the I correct call. Easy, I think that specific play is a, is an easy fix. I think all you have to do is similar to like tennis or the NFL, have a replay center. And that's and what have, they brought up. Have, have them immediately start reviewing the play. Like if there's an out of bounds call, have them immediately start reviewing the play. Cause they should be reviewing 20- every call in the last two minutes automatically. Like they're yeah. just, they're in a replay center, just like it's already happening. So when the refs walk over, they get an immediate answer, right? Instead of like For- this long drawn out process, it, it doesn't even seem that hard to pull off. For like, sure. Just figure it out. 
in the allocate 20 the resources and do pointing, it. Yeah, in the 20 seconds where they're all pointing at each other and doing this, the dudes are already reviewing the tape. Now it's just a call that literally the ref just has to go over to a phone, pick it up. It's like, all right, what is it, guys? All right, blue ball. Okay, here we go. You know, yeah. make it quick and easy. I, but, uh, but I 100% agree with you. Because it, it is like it's a Pandora's box thing, right? Like you can't put everything back in it. We already have replay. Like oh, you can't sure. be like, oh, we're going to like wind back replay a little bit. It's already here. So since it is, let's figure out a system where we can actually do it correctly and it doesn't affect, like you're saying, the spirit of the game. Mm-hmm. They, as, as basketball fans and even the casual fan, like the casual fan hates that kind of stuff. They hate mm-hmm. watching a basketball game and then five minute replay. And they're like, oh, I'm just going to turn this off. I really don't care about the outcome. You know, I'm not a, if it's a Celtics flake or, you know, a Celtics, let's say wizards game. And it's a really good game, but there's no like huge fan interest there just from kind of like a, a normal standpoint. Somebody's just going to flip the channel. If there's a five minute review, like they just don't mm-hmm. care about the outcome. That's how you bolster your ratings is you clean up all that little stuff. But so to push back on what you originally said, though, like, because I do agree with all of those flaws, I guess what I'm saying is like, if we had picked up the identical quality basketball in all of the surrounding circumstances from the 90s, and we dropped them today with today's public attitude to everything and social media and all that stuff, would we also be complaining? Because th- th- that's my question. Because like, as far as like the the viewership stuff, it's like, the viewership stuff is down across across the board. And if you're striving to reach these crazy NBA finals numbers from the Jordan era, I'm sorry, but that's, that's not unrealistic. That's, that's unrealistic. unrealistic. I'm, I'm that's not asking. That. Of, that's a product of TV. Like Seinfeld episodes used to get better ratings than the Super Bowl. You know, the same ratings of the Super Bowl, and it was every week. So it, you, you got to embrace like the. And I do think like I do think that. Uh, you know, because I, I got into an argument with somebody about this a long time ago, but I really do think that uh, there is something to be said about attention on the league and the ability to eventually monetize it. So, for instance, like one of the things that the NBA does a great job with is social media impressions. Now, right now, they, they, they haven't quite figured out how to monetize it or they, they are monetizing it, but not as well as they could, uh, as you know, a typical TV viewer, for instance. Well, what I what I think is like, I do think that the, the there's a reason why uh, salary cap keeps uh, 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 ticking up. And when the n- n- next round of TV deals go, I don't know how they're going to do that, if it's going to be some sort of combination of streaming and TV or whatever it is they're going to do. They're going to be fine. They're finding a way to make money off this stuff. It's a different type of viewer. It's a different viewer, viewership experience. Part of it, too, is our generation prefers things in smaller doses. We don't have the same patience that we used to to sit down and watch 82 regular season games. And I would imagine our kids are going to be even worse in that regard. So a lot of this is adapting and, and trying to compare apples to oranges. And so all I'm saying is like, I agree that all this stuff is a problem. I agree that all of it needs to be fixed. You and I just broke down potential ways to fix refereeing. All of it should be addressed. And I, I hope that they are going to eventually get to this stuff. However, I just, this idea that like the NBA is a dying sport, and this is all the cancerous tumors that are on it. I would disagree with that personally. No, I mean, as long as I can make it through COVID here and get fans back in arenas and eventually have full capacity again, I don't think it's a dying sport, but I think yeah. there are like things that need to be addressed. Like NBA finals was down. I want to say 66% year over year. That wasn't in line with the other sports. So yes, that everything, also, but it, all the other sports were, were compared to the same uh, time frame. Like the, like the, the Super Bowl happened in February. No, like the maybe. baseball happened in October. The NBA World, finals World really Series happened. The World Series and the NBA Finals happened like three weeks from each other. 
I know, but it, but the, Major League Baseball does have a larger fan base than the NBA. The, sure. Do you remember the, the a larger regional it, fan base? Yeah, they'll get they'll they'll they're uh when the Cubs made the World Series, they were having like fifty million people watching World Series games. Yeah, I, that's, I don't, that's the Cubs, though. That's different. I I I I guess I'm just saying, like, I I think that the NBA bubble, I would be more willing to hear that out next year. I think than I would this year. Is is, is I guess my answer. Uh, I just. Uh, and maybe I'm just being too much of a glass half full kind of guy here, but like I, I believe that if an average fan turns on an NBA game right now, they there are downsides, but they're experiencing just as much positive as they would. Like if you turned on a Pacers, uh, literally if you turned on a, a you know like a Pacers Knicks game in, in 1998, do you think that was a super entertaining experience in a February? No, and and to defend the modern NBA, like that stuff was more of appointment television because we didn't have every game being broadcasted. Exactly. Right. So when you got when in nineteen ninety seven, when you're sitting on your couch and it's a Tuesday night or it's a Saturday or it's a Sunday, you're like, oh shoot, we have NBA on today, and you only get to see the Knicks twice a year. <laughs> to whereas now it's like super accessible. If I just want to pay like two hundred fifty bucks a year, I could watch every single New York Knicks game, and if I just want to watch the Knicks, I can be like. I think it's 80 bucks for the entire year or something for just one team. So like, yeah, there's a lot of factors that play into this stuff, but I don't think we should just totally, totally dismiss the ratings, especially when it's not absolutely in line with everything else that's happening. Like there is a, I just think there's a middle ground here between like the ratings, like the ratings, people who think it's the most dire situation in the world. And then people who think there's no issues at all. Hmm. I agree with you, and that's a good point about the appointment television stuff. I, and, and I guess that just kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about it being kind of apples to oranges. It's just, I think, I don't know, I think this stuff is hard. And, like, you know what else, too? Like, we all are, you know, we kind of surround ourselves. We try. I try to surround myself with differing opinions. I follow fans from all these different fan bases. Like, I follow, with, with politics, I follow people from both sides. I, I mean, I try that, to that's how we started myself. doing – that's really how we started doing a podcast together because exactly. we had differing viewpoints. And we were like, okay, maybe there's – maybe we can bring conflicting opinions to something and making it, make it entertaining. Exactly. I agree. And, and so I think, like – but even with us trying to do that, there's still a little bit of an echo chamber, at least I think generationally, because I, I, a lot of the people I follow are in this like 25 to 35 age group guys who watch a lot of NBA. And I do think there's – I would imagine – and maybe I'm wrong about this. I would imagine in the NBA league office, there's some person you know who's been in business for a long time in some in some aspect who knows a lot of social media or whatever blah 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 who's sitting down with adam silver and going like listen like you guys post a youtube clip of a highlight from one of these players and it gets x number of views this tiktok got 77 trillion views or whatever the heck it is i'm just throwing numbers out but you have to find a way to do this because this is where the next generation is and for you and i we're going to be like, that's bullshit. Like how the, like the TikTok really, you know, and we all made fun of them at the all-star break last year for doing that. And it's like, no, no, no. Like the NBA literally has some super smart person who knows this stuff a lot better than us. Who's sitting down with their, the higher up saying like, this is what you got to do. And I, I, I think like to your point, there's a middle ground. Like you don't want to stray, you don't want to stray too far in any one direction. Uh, but I do think, I, I do think we should give the NBA a little bit of the benefit of the doubt as they're trying to adapt to literally like the entire world getting turned over on its head in the way that we do everything. 
on a day-to-day basis. No, I mean, I don't disagree. I'm, I'm actually really interested to see how the next TV deal shakes out because I would think it starts to lean more towards streaming, especially with the way the NBA has begun to do stuff. They do want a social media presence. Like they are really good on Twitter. They do a great mm-hmm. job on YouTube. Like they've basically taken over their own YouTube. Like they, they won't let random people post highlights anymore because they want all that for their piece of the pie. Right. They're trying to get on TikTok, which is still weird to me, but they, it's probably something they have to do as you're kind of noting. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'm honestly just see, interested to see where all this ends up because I think it is a really crucial time. Like they can if they do all of this correctly, I think they could really maybe um, own the market within the next 10 years. I mean, they're never going to overtake the NFL, but they could become the clear, clear, clear number two again to where they're easily the second most popular sport in the country. And then globally, they're going to keep growing like. NBA is the second most, or not NBA basketball is the second most popular sport in the world behind soccer. So mm-hmm. I think cricket's up there too, but that's kind of more regionalized. There's just a lot of people who like it because it's very popular in one region. But point being, like basketball isn't a good place overall. They just have to figure out the right way to go about this. And it it feels like they keep making mistakes which make the product worse. And if you do that enough times, then eventually it becomes a problem. And I think that's probably what more of kind of the alarmist stuff is about. We actually do the same thing on Warriors Twitter to kind of pull back the curtain a little bit. There's been some concerning moves by the front office. So every time there's another concerning move by the front office, you're like, uh-oh, like, are, are these guys actually not who, they, who we thought they were? And there's kind of the same feeling with the NBA. I think that's why Warriors fans have honed in on it so much because we do see some of the cracks in the armor with the front office. And we see a parallel with the league office where it's like, oh, these guys keep making weird decisions. And they're not really correcting the problems that need to be corrected. No, it's, it's interesting. And, and like, I just, I think like, I think things will shake out. Um, I I feel the same way about just the on-court product. Like it's, you know, at a certain point, the uh, defenses will adapt and you won't see as many threes, you know, uh, at at a certain point, the refs are going to get sick of getting slandered and they'll try to get better. Hopefully like all this stuff, I think just kind of organically works itself out. And I just, I love the league and, you're right. Like that, the casual fan it, is 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 an important part of their business strategy in, in heading into the future. And it, it, like the financial incentives are real. Like the the players know that for them to make more money, the league has to make more money. And so it, it, I think that I think that you and I touched on this earlier. But the idea of getting some sort of player panel from the NBA PA mm-hmm. to work directly with refs to try to to try to uh, figure out some common ground. Uh, might be one of the easiest ways to improve that specific side of it. And it um, maybe even shouldn't just be like refereeing. It should just be like kind of spirit of the game type stuff, right? Like it's just mm-hmm. a more encompassing thing where, yeah, refereeing is a part of it. But like what ways would make the game and, – and this would be tricky because players are always going to advocate for themselves in a way. But, you know, what are some ways that you think the game could improve? And I, it might be better to do it with guys who are recently retired. Like NFL – Tony Romo has been a really good NFL analyst because he's recently retired. He still knows like all the lingo. He still has a lot of connections in the league. So he can convey the game very, very well. Mm -hmm. You should get guys like that in the NBA league office who are recently retired, really know the game well. And there, I think those guys would be more prone to advocate for the league on a whole instead of just advocating for the players as active players would tend to do. Yeah. And 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 that's the important balance is like, you can't have the players making all the decisions because if it were up to the players, none of them would ever get criticized in the media, which is a completely uh, like a, a completely impossible type of future for the league. And 
and you need but you need you i think the idea there is like you get a bunch of the different sides in a room and you start bouncing ideas around and you find a way to make it work but at the end of the day like it's i would hope that they're already doing this stuff yeah Uh, they're not they're definitely in trouble yeah exactly Anyway, uh, we are just over about an hour and 10 minutes, so I'm going to let you guys go. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. Like I said, we need a new show name. So I'll, I'll tweet this out. With the <laughs> I'll, Tommy's putting a gun to his head. I'll, uh, uh, I'll send out a, a tweet that you can share here in a minute that just kind of asks for some ideas. Uh, but the, the podcast version of this will be up probably in about 15, 20 minutes. Tommy, thank you as always, and I will see you next week, my friend. Sounds good, man. Thank you. See ya.